Mac Power Users, episode 325, MPU Live for June 6, 2016. everyone, this is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? Hey, David, I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Time for another Mac Power Users Live. It's kind of weird doing them on a weekday now. We've just switched to now the first Monday of the month. So if you missed us on Saturday, that's because we switched it. Yeah, and I, I like our new schedule, except for this happens to be the day that a tropical storm is is blowing in. So uh, for those of you who, who are listening, if the audio sounds a little different or if you hear some background noise, uh, that's that's just because the house is about to blow away. No, no big deal. Oh, is this, now, does, in Florida, does that include lightning as well? Uh, tornadoes, lightning, typically wind, typically wind and, and water. So if we hear crashing noises and Katie screaming, should we be worried? Mainly what you worry about is the trees falling, and I don't have any big trees around me, so I should be good. Okay. All right. Well, I feel better. Hey, we got we got a bunch of great feedback this month. Thank you, everybody, for sending it in. But before we get to that, we've got a guest today that I'm, I'm actually kind of totally like fanboying on. Uh, welcome to the show, Jared Mariyama. Hi. Thank you for right. having me. <laughs> Jared, now, Jared, if you don't know, he is a, a pretty well-known artist. He does some really amazing work for Disney, but he also does a whole bunch of other stuff. We're going to put a link to his uh, website in the show notes, uh, jmariyama.com. And uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Jared a couple months ago, and w- we actually have some of his artwork hanging in our house. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Uh, I was at a signing and, and I started asking him about how he puts all this together. And I didn't realize it because, you know, most artists we talk to these days um, are using some s- sort of digital canvas, you know, like the iPad Pro is a big deal now, the pencil or a stylus of some sort. And Jared said, no, 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 I've been doing it on my Mac. My, You know, basically my whole professional career, I create art with Adobe Illustrator and a mouse. And I was immediately <laughs> fascinated by that because... Uh, we have a lot of people on the show. We don't have that many artists and the ones we do are always talking about uh, their fetish for stylists. And that's not a case for you, is it, Jared? No, it's not. I mean, it's funny to to think of it as sort of an old school approach now to use a mouse and uh, simply the computer. But yeah, it's it's changing at such an alarming rate. It can be difficult to sort of uh, keep up with it. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And, And frankly, you find something that works for you and it's you know, if it ain't broke, the old story, right? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you've, I, I'm assuming you've probably been an artist since you were a kid. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think uh, everybody starts off drawing when they're little. I think it's just a matter of, you know, how long you keep it up and how uh, committed you are to it as you get older. Because we have less and less free time and, you know, no one's encouraging you to draw. Certainly no one's encouraging you to draw for a living. So that, you know, right around high school, I think, is when it started to become more serious about this could possibly be what I do for the rest of my life. Now, um, at what point did you start? Because my guess is you didn't start drawing with Adobe Illustrator and a mouse when you were a kid. At, <laughs> at, what, at what point did you start saying, I could make art with my computer? Um you know, it wasn't until college, and this is sort of in the late 90s, when one of the requirements of my illustration degree was to take a, 
a computer class of some sort. Um, uh, so we had to take a, a course about Adobe Illustrator, actually, and I hated it at first. I, it was a difficult program to to use, um, but it forced me to to learn the uh, the program, how to use it, what its strengths were, what its weaknesses were, and um, that's when I was first introduced to it um, as a possibility of creating within the computer. Now, one yeah. of the things and, that I'm curious about is how comfortable is it drawing with with just a mouse? Because humans really weren't designed that way. And I, I found when I was in college and doing a lot of desktop publishing work um, with with the mouse and, and keyboard, that was something that when I really started to get in trouble with RSI, and I found that one of the things that really, really bothered me was really precise mousing work in the desktop publishing context using tools back then like uh, PageMaker and Quark Express. And I can imagine that must be amplified when you're doing very precision. I mean, that was just, you know, drawing boxes into certain pixels and, and making columns and things. But I can imagine that must be amplified greatly uh, when you're doing something like illustrating with a mouse. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I initially I was sort of, uh, you know, um, resistant to going to Illustrator because it's a very technical kind of approach to drawing. It's not like, um, you know, uh, like a gestural thing like you can use with uh, Photoshop and the the tablets and things like that. It's It's more about creating shapes and sort of pulling these points to make the exact shape that you want and things like that. So it's a matter of just getting used to it. Um, but it does take a while. And and I could see why with so many options now, people who are coming into the field might not think to go to Illustrator as their first choice of, of programs. But it's a valuable tool and it, it puts out really sharp, clean work. And it's just very... Um, uh, you can use it in a lot of different ways. It really gives life to the file. Um, uh, I, at least that's what I've found. And, and now a lot of people on the, on the Adobe bandwagon, right? They, uh, they get one version. They're like, okay, this is the one. I don't want any new versions. Are you the guy who's like still using the seven-year-old version or are you <laughs> the guy who always gets the latest and greatest? Well, you know, I, um, because I'm working with clients uh, in these different areas, uh, entertainment or whatever the case may be, they usually are good about staying up to date on the on, on the latest version. So I find that I have to move up to the next version uh, just to give them uh, files that uh, that can work on their computer. And it's just one less step for them to have to deal with when sending me stuff. And so I'll always maintain uh, the latest version. But um I don't use it for all the advantages that come with that that new version. A lot of people have, and I realize this move has now been a couple of years in the making, um, but a lot of hay has been made about the switch to a subscription model for Adobe Illustrator. Um, what do you think about the the switch to Creative Cloud? And has that made it easier? For, are you just using Illustrator or are you also using some of the other Adobe suites? And has that uh, been a benefit or a burden, you think, overall? Um, well, for me personally, because I just use Illustrator, I, I found that that's, it was a little bit of an annoying move to it. It makes sense if you're using all of these programs in the suite and, you know, avoiding having to update every time uh, a new version comes out. Like, that makes sense to me. But when you're just using one of the programs, it seems a little excessive to go to a monthly subscription kind of fee. Um, 
I stayed at the version just before the subscription base started. And so far, that's been okay. I don't know if that's going to change where I'm going to eventually have to go to those uh, latest versions. But so far, for the most part, it, it's worked out. But um, I'm, I'm trying to resist that subscription as much as possible. Yeah, And um, and your hardware, you told us before, you're working on a Mac Pro, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And uh, and I I said, well, is it the trash can or is it the box? Or so no, the cheese grater, the, the trash can or the cheese grater? <laughs> yeah, the yeah. cheese grater. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And um and uh, Jared was saying that no, he uses the um the cheese grater. Uh, how yeah. old is your How old is your Mac? Uh, I think I got it in uh, 2012. I want to say I think like yeah. summer of 2012. One of the last cheese graters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. But but it's interesting. The new Mac Pro really makes no sense for what you're doing. You know, you're not making video. You don't need to really press the video card that much. So so I'm not right. sure that when you upgrade it, you're going to need a Mac Pro anymore. Right. No. Exactly. And, and even in my when I'm not doing work, I'm not using it for anything that requires that much power or, or space or anything like that. So um, you know, it's always fun as a Mac person to want to get that next thing just because it's the next thing. But, uh, as far as it being a requirement, no, I think you're absolutely right. I don't, uh, I'm not working at that level yet. But, but how do you, as an artist, how do you use two screens? I mean, are they big or give us some details? Yeah. Um, they're two, um, sort of, um, they look like televisions. I mean, they can be used as televisions basically. Um, and they're just side by side so that I can keep one area for, uh, the the ta uh, the the space where I'm actually working on the art and then my tools and everything else or reference materials can go on the other screen. Um, I, I started doing that quite a while ago with using two huge monitors, um, but it's so much easier now that they're these sort of flat screen uh, flat screen monitors. So um, it just gives you a lot of space. Uh, that's why I have a hard time going to my um, my laptop. It feels very claustrophobic trying to have all these things open on this one screen. So I've, I've adapted to two screens pretty quickly there. Yeah, I bet it would be difficult to do your work on a laptop. It is. It's, it's never my uh, preferred method of working. So I'll use my laptop if I'm traveling and I have to do work while I'm traveling or things like that. But um, yeah, I, 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 I prefer to be at my desk. And when you, um, because you do all this with a mouse, are you mm -hmm. fiddly about the mouse you use? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I've used the same type of mouse for quite a while now. I don't even know what type it is. It's more about how it feels in my hand. Um, it tends to be a larger mouse just to sort of fit in my hand as opposed to those sort of mini mouse um, styles that they have now. Um, yeah, like that the Apple mouse that you could actually, I think, swallow if you wanted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to me, it's like it's like how you hold a pen. Um, and if suddenly someone gave you this really tiny, you know, uh, toothpick of a pen, you'd find that very difficult to use. So to me, the same thing with the mouse, changing it or changing the sort of ergonomics of it, which has become kind of a big thing or was a big thing. Um, that has never been a benefit to me. So I'm always trying to find these old style mouse, uh, you know, options whenever I can. Now, I know you've, you've previously, um, worked for different companies before, but now you are completely a freelance, full-time freelance artist, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about some of the type of work you do and then how you, how you find your clients more from a, from a business standpoint. Um, so finding clients, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think. So since working for Disney, 
obviously getting the exposure from someone like Disney goes a long way. Um, I've been fortunate in the past few years that clients have come to me or have seen my work um, because the Disney stuff attracts so much attention. That is sort of the best part of working for Disney, I think. And you can't sort of buy that kind of exposure. And so I'm always grateful for for having that opportunity and having my work out there. Um, and it's made that part of my job a lot easier. So when I first started out, though, I would try using different uh, websites and job sites and things like that. But I didn't find that those were very helpful or they attracted the wrong type of client. So pretty much right at now, at this point, I'm using social networking and pretty casual sites to sort of attract clients. And and so far that's worked. But you know, that could change in a heartbeat. So I'm always keeping an eye out for sort of new ways to keep your uh, work in front of people. Yeah, as an independent now, not only do you have to be able to make the art, you also have to make the business. And and I'm sure that is a challenge. Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't think anyone thinks of artists as being the best business people. There certainly are people who juggle both, um, you know, uh, responsibilities well. I'm not I'm not one of those people. That side of it really doesn't interest me. So it's hard to, um, it's hard to keep that in the forefront when all you want to do is draw. So I'm fortunate that there are people in my life that have been able to sort of help me with that side of things. And I definitely rely heavily on them for, for all the stuff that, um, you know, that doesn't come naturally to me. Have you ever been tempted as Adobe changes its business model? You know, there's a whole like growing crop of illustrator type apps showing up Mm -hmm. in the, the Apple mac app store and then there's this whole like renaissance of software over on the ipad pro has any of that stuff been tempting to you at all in the last few years or or Um, what are your thoughts on that it always is i'm excited to to see it and to sort of like uh you know walk around at conventions and see these sort of samples of what's out there and everything the problem for me right now is that i've been very busy with work and which is great i i'm I'm completely happy about that obviously but it doesn't allow me a lot of time to sort of stop and learn a new program learn a new tool or learn a new approach um because it does take some time to sort of get up to speed and and i i don't want it right now i'm not at the point where i want to stop what i'm doing and sort of have this era of <laughs> subpar work that that shows me getting used to a new tool or a you know a new way of doing things so that time will never come i realize i have to just sort of set aside the time to do that i just haven't done it yet but um i'm certainly open to looking at different tools and uh, and software and also a lot of it is is when you get to a certain degree of resistance with what you have i mean if, if adobe suddenly was charging a thousand dollars a month or for some reason uh, illustrator wasn't producing the types of files or the tools that you need then you'd obviously be way more motivated but uh, Adobe's absolutely. getting it done and and you're successful and you're busy i get it <laughs> now is any of your work or hand drawn now or is it all run through adobe illustrator um, I always start with a sketch usually, um, okay. it, it depends, it, it, but, um, yeah, I, I always will draw for myself, uh, as a starting point to sort of get the concept down. So that's always pencil and paper. Um, and I think I'll always do that, whether it's for work or just sort of, you know, staying in touch with that, uh, with that side of the creativity, but I am also able to sort of jump right into illustrator and create directly in illustrator. Um, and that's only because I've been working with the program for so long, but they are sort of very two different mindsets uh, that come up with the same sort of result. But 
it just depends on what the uh depends on what the clients need and and how much time I have and stuff like that. So my sketches tend to be pretty rough still um since uh it's so easy to make changes in Illustrator that uh, I don't always spend a, a whole lot of time refining the sketch to get it perfect because I know I'm going to do all of that once it's in the computer. Sure. Now, creatively, do you find that um drawing with a pencil and paper gets different ideas than drawing with the mouse and the computer? I mean, it seems like they tap into different areas of your brain in some ways. They do. Absolutely. I think, and I think that's why people like these uh, tablets and, and um, stylus and things like that, because it does give you that same sort of hand feeling when, when creating. Um, and that's definitely why I always start uh, with paper and pencil. Illustrator is kind of a uh, cold medium. Like it's, it's very good at, um, very specific shapes and and things like that. So it's always a challenge to sort of breathe life into your creations when using that tool. I think that's the biggest challenge of using that tool. So I tend to like to show clients things that have been created in Illustrator because sketches, I've said this a few times before, but like I find sketches have their own sort of innate charm and, and energy to them. And a lot of that gets lost in the translation to illustrator so i tend to not want to show them a sketch because they they might be uh looking for something that they saw in the sketch that they're not getting in the illustrator file so it just depends on who i'm working with and how they're working well jared you say that it's a cold medium but you sure breathe life into it because i think <laughs> the art you make is so fun yeah. um everybody uh, head over to jared's website uh i can tell you that his hipster mickey series plays a role in the sparks house and now <laughs> now of course he's doing star wars so you know that's gonna that's gonna end up in my house at some yeah, point. How, how many bare walls do you have david we're, we're not start. enough <laughs> not enough for uh some of the great stuff jared does um, but anyway, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing that with us. I, I think it's fascinating. Um, and I guess it's not as unusual after talking to you that you would create this art exclusively with a mouse and a computer. But and it's funny that we refer to that as old school, you know? yeah. <laughs> but, but it is in some ways. And uh, and thank you for sharing that with us. Well, absolutely. Thank you for your interest in what I do. I appreciate it. Yeah. And Jared, right. why don't you tell people, um, we'll put a link in the show notes, but tell people a little bit about where they can find you, your blog, social media, wh wherever you'd like to send people where they can find your work. Sure. So my website is jmariyama.com. Um, and pretty much all of my social media is based on jmariyama. So Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, things like that. You can find me at that. But if you want to just go to the website, uh, everything links from there. So you can, that's a good place to start. Wonderful. Well, again, Jared, thank you so much for, for joining us. And uh, hopefully we'll be we'll be sending some people your way. And uh, I guess David's going to have to rip some stuff down from his walls to, to make more room for your Star Wars series now. That's right. He'll have to rotate them out. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> there you go. That's the solution. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Jared. All right. Well, we've got a lot more stuff to catch up on, including some feedback for our security shows and Hazel and note taking and so much more. Uh, but before we go there, I do want to take a break and talk about our first sponsor, for this episode, and then we'll be back. So I want to take a moment and talk about our next sponsor, and that is Gazelle. Gazelle is the online marketplace for buying and selling used gadgets. And there you can shop from a variety of certified pre-owned electronics or trade in one for cash and give life to a new device. You can visit gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com today. Uh, now, I have been using Gazelle for a long time. It is the trusted online marketplace for buying and selling your used electronics. 
You can trade in your old device for cash or buy a certified pre-owned one, or you know what? Do both. For trade-ins, simply visit gazelle.com, find your device, tell them what you got, what carrier it's on, how much storage space you have, and the condition of the device, and get an instant quote. If you like their quote, you can lock it in for 30 days. Shipment, uh, shipping is free and the payment is fast. And if you're looking to buy a certified pre-owned device, Gazelle has a variety of iPhones, iPads, Samsung Galaxy phones to choose from. And each device is fully inspected and backed by a 30-day return policy and sold without any carrier contract. This is great. So here's the deal. My grandmother recently had to replace her iPhone. She had an old hand-me-down uh, iPhone 5 that actually used to be mine. And she was having some issues with it. The battery wasn't quite holding its charge. Um, we had to get her a new one. We were trying to decide what to do, but we didn't want to go buy one from the carrier because she was on a really great contract. She was only paying 15 bucks a month. If we bought one from the carrier, we could have gotten a free phone, but it would have come with a $50 a month contract. So we went on Gazelle. We actually upgraded her phone. We got her a better phone. It was pretty cheap. And we were able to trade back in her old iPhone S uh, 5 it still had value and got cash back that we could put towards the purchase. Uh, it was amazing. Um, Gazelle offers financing. So if you provide some basic information, you can instantly get approved if you need to and pay over three, six, or 12 months. You can even buy a warranty that covers things like water damage, cracked screens, hardware defects, and more. Uh, there are great benefits of buying certified pre-owned devices. Their devices are in fair, excellent, and good condition. I picked a good condition for my grandmother. A good condition shows some gentle signs of wear and tear, uh, but offers consumers great value on still great devices. I got to tell you, I had to really inspect this phone before I could find any little uh, nicks or scrapes. It certainly was a phone that she was thrilled with. Couldn't find anything wrong with it and probably a lot better than the phone that we traded back in. Devices are available from all the major carriers and you can find out more information Head over online to gazelle.com today, and please make sure you click the survey to let them know that you were sent by Mac Power users. Okay, Katie, we had a show about security, and we seem to have some feedback still coming in on that. Yeah, this was a, a while ago, but Jean made a, a, had a good question and about secure disk images, and she said, on several occasions, I've heard you all mention the use of secure disk images to store sensitive documents like tax returns. I've done that in the past before FileVault was working properly. Now it seems to me that FileVault takes care of encrypting the entire drive, so I feel less compelled to save sensitive documents in an encrypted disk image. I can see the argument that another level of encryption may provide an additional level of protection, but isn't that overkill? Is the, what is the benefit that you can protect file with a different password other than your login credentials, and is that the only one? I think one of the big advantages of it is if you're going to put this stuff in any sort of cloud storage, like if you're going to put it up on Dropbox, you can create a secure disk image and then you can save it to Dropbox and you're in much better shape. Uh, stuff that while stuff on your Mac is protected with FileVault, stuff that you put in other places is not. Well, and not just cloud storage, but other types of backup mediums. Um, if it's going to go into Dropbox, if it's going to go into iCloud, if it's going to go um, in, into Backblaze, if it's going to go into Crash Plan, if it's going to go into any of those places, um, you also need to know how, how are those files protected. Now, many of those solutions that we've talked about give you the ability to encrypt your files with your own unique security key. Some of them do not. Uh, some of those places may be susceptible 
um, to hacks. Some of them may be susceptible to turning your data um, over to a, a with a subpoena. Um, some of those um, may just be susceptible to you having a poor username and password. But, you know, I, I think you're right, David, you bring up a good point that it may not necessarily be about what's on your Mac, but where it goes from there. Um, even if you're just backing up to a hard drive, even though we encourage you to encrypt your backup hard drive as well, if you haven't done that, I, I think it's still a good idea because it just gives you that extra belt and suspenders approach. It gives you that extra um, layer of security because if your Mac is unlocked, then someone has total access to whatever's on there. And it could be something as simple as, you walked away from your Mac for a minute and someone slid in or, you know, someone snatched and grabbed your Mac or, um, you know, maybe maybe you left it and it hadn't had a chance to lock yet. Uh, and and those files are open. So. I You know, one of the things I was thinking about while you're talking about is on iOS, I have data that I put in Apple Notes, but I have other data that I put into secure notes in one password. So in essence, I have a second password to get to that those secure notes this is kind of the same thing but i like the way gene asked the question because she's right in a lot of ways it is not as necessary you do have better encryption now on your drive as built but um there may be stuff that that gets the overkill i guess that's a good way to answer a question is it overkill well usually it is but not always right and so i think it depends on what it is uh, you know i think if you were encrypting a lot of things by a secure disk images Maybe now you don't have to quite encrypt all of them. Maybe now if you're using File Vault, uh, you can let go of some, but maybe not quite all of it. I think it depends. Yeah. The um, the Hazel Show got some feedback, um, starting with an audio comment from Zach. Yeah. You know, we did not mention about how Hazel works with one of our favorite tools, Text Expander, And um, Zach reminded us of that important point. So let's hear from Zach. Hey, Katie and David. This is Zach calling in from the D.C. area. Congratulations, relatedly, on 300 episodes. I hope you guys keep up the great work, and here's to 300 more. I'm calling in with some feedback on your Hazel episode, because I noticed that you didn't mention integrating Text Expander, another usual suspect on MPU, with Hazel. I'm an English teacher at a university, and professors are always sending me all kinds of different files with weird names that I don't understand. So I have a text expander snippet that allows me to rename them and not have to stress about my Hazel rules trying to remember what they are. So the snippet is X-E-N-F-I-N-A, English file name, and that expands to a semester stamp, so 2016-01 or 2016-00, and then a series of pop-up menus so I can select a production activity, a synchronous session PowerPoint, and then which unit it is and which lesson it is. So it might expand to 2016-01 production activity for AB or what have you. And I don't have to think about my Hazel rules when I do this. So it automates the sorting of the file itself, but also it eliminates the anxiety of trying to think about what I have to name the file. Hazel just deals with it automatically, treating all those different selectable items as tokens and subsorting the document as necessary. This has been a really great workflow for me, and it saved me a lot of time and cognitive anxiety when naming those files that come in with all kinds of weird names. Again, congratulations on 300. Keep up the great work. I can't wait for next week's episode. Thanks, Zach. You know, we uh, we probably should have covered that. I, I do something similar with, like, expense receipts when I save them. I, I have one where I just say um, 
XMS. It's it's under my fingers now that I don't even think about. It. So XMS is Max Sparky Expense, and um, it puts in the date stamp. It puts in my beloved dashes, and then it puts in the word Max Sparky Expense, which is the trigger word for Hazel. It's looking for in the name, and then it backs the cursor up and leaves the cursor in between two dashes, so I can just type in whatever the expense is, so I can give it a description. Uh, but I don't do it with tokens. That's a good idea. I should try a couple with tokens and see how those work. Um, it, it's interesting that um, both of those examples involve file naming, which is a place a lot of people don't think about using Hazel, but an excellent uh, place to use it. Right. Let text, sorry, ex- text expander. Yeah. Let text yeah. expander take care of the file naming and then have Hazel trigger based on how you've named the files. I, I think it's a great idea and something that I've used, but we didn't talk about. Mart, uh, Martin wrote Ma- in and. Yeah, I think that was my typo. It was just Martin. Okay. And um, he said, hey, um, uh, I know that we've talked about having Hazel do OCR in PDFs with PDF Pen Pro. There's the Apple script that Katie um, uh, beat the people at Smile into making for us. They were very (laughs) kind about making it. Yes. We have, but we have a script. Yeah. And and, and the, uh, the question is, how do you trigger it? And it's funny, I... I almost added that to the video, but it was at two and a half hours. And I got thinking people are going to be so mad at me if the file gets to over two gigabytes. But uh, the way I, so, so the question is, okay, we know that there's a script that Katie and Greg put together. Um, How do you figure out where to trigger it? And um, so can Hazel, the answer is, can Hazel determine if a, if a PDF file has already been OCR'd? The way I do this, and it's a, it's a goofy solution. I've never even really talked about it before. Maybe Katie's got a better one. Is I have it look at the file and say, if text contains, and I just have it check, do a vowel check, A-E-I-O-U. If it has any, if text contains A or if text contains E, you know, and if, the, if there's been already an OC layer, OCR layer on it, it's going to have a vowel in it somewhere and then it won't run the OCR. And if it, if it runs that check and doesn't find any contained letters, uh, any contained vowels, um, then it runs OCR. That's a really good idea. And I'm going to change my rule now to base it off of that because I had a different okay. way of doing it. How are you doing it? Um, I did it a couple of different ways. Um, one is I said, if content creator was not ScanStamp, because most of the OCR files that I had OCR'd were from... Um, were files that I had generated through ScanSnap and anything that I run through my, my typical rule is anything that runs through the ScanSnap gets OCR'd because it's just, I I let the ScanSnap OCR anything that goes through that. And then I let PDF pen check the other stuff. Um, And then the other thing that I do is I set that uh, uh, PDF um, OCR PDF rule. I put that at the very end of my Hazel rules because if you if you chronologically order the the PDF the Hazel rules that you want it to check, so let's say you're you're checking your download folder or your action folder, if you've got two dozen different action rules in your action folder, if your OCR PDF is the last rule, a Hazel will run through all of those other rules before it tries to OCR the PDF. And so the way that I kind of got around it is if it ran through all of the other rules first, it would probably already take care of it. And if it hadn't gotten a rule first, then it would OCR it. Yeah. But, and this is actually, but I like your idea you, better, I think. Well, yeah, so I just, so you basically look, because if it's already OCR, there's going to be a vowel in there somewhere. It's like each individual condition. 
and it's an or, not an and, obviously. And unless, unless it's written in Klingon. Yeah, that's true. And I don't have many of those. So, but, but I'm not or, sure. I'm um, not sure that PDF Pen Pro version eight supports Klingon as one of their OCR languages. I believe that's coming in a future update. I think we need to talk to the folks at Smile about that. I do. I think we will. There we go. So, the, um, I, I'm having a, a total nerd fit here. I I forget the name of the language in Star Wars. What is it called? How can I forget this? I feel I, well. I isn't C3PO fluent in more than six thousand forms of communication? No, no. Arubesh. Arubesh. I just remembered. I did not Google it. It came to me. Uh-huh. That's the name of the alphabet, the Star Wars alphabet, which looks strangely similar to English if you look at it closely. Uh, anyway, uh, now that we've solved that problem. Oh, by the way, this the script to run an OCR and we'll put a link to Katie's post with the underlying um, Apple script in it in the show notes and then combine it with those conditions we just talked about is more useful now than ever because there's tons of applications, both mobile and Mac based that are putting documents into your cloud storage. So like if you take a picture of a receipt with a um, one of these scanning apps on your phone. Why not have your your Mac back at home with Hazel run an OCR for you using PDF Pin Pro? Or PDF Pin, it would work with either one. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm distracted because I'm editing my uh, my PDF Pin or my Hazel rule right now. Oh, are you? Okay. <laughs> She's on it. I'm on it. She's on it. So uh, Paul uh, wrote in, he yeah, said he modified Paul. Yeah, Paul modified the Hazel lock Mac workflow to work with the workflow app. And he gave us a little workflow recipe for it. I thought it was pretty clever. We're going to put it in the show notes. So if you're using the workflow app on iOS, click on that and Paul will install something on your iOS device that will not cause you pain and suffering, but instead allow you to automate that lock Mac workflow we we talked about during the show. Yeah. And that was basically, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, it's a workflow that will allow you to automatically lock your Mac with, you know, David did it by a drafts action. I did it with location-based on iOS. And now Paul has set it up to do it through workflow. There is no end of ways to lock your Mac. There's not now. Hazel. Yeah. Uh, Barry, Barry, uh, Barry actually sent in an audio comment about pattern matching. So let's, um, let's hear from Barry. Hi, David and Katie. Thank you for Mac Power Users Episode 322, Cleaning Up with Hazel. I love your podcast and I love Hazel too. I've been using it since version 1. In your discussion of pattern matching in Hazel, you spoke at length about Hazel looking for dates. The pattern matching is most probably used mainly for dates, but can also be used for any other type of consistently formatted data. For example, I receive about 20 copies of a particular type of document each day. The documents have a generic file name which is not very useful. A mail rule saves the attachments to my action folder, and that was another great lesson learned from Mac Power users, where Hazel will scan the document and find the pattern within it that contains the word receipt, followed by a space, and then five digits. Hazel uses this data to rename the file with a more appropriate name and includes the receipt number in the file name. Thanks again for the show and keep up the good work. Yeah, how much did you get into pattern matching? I'm I'm sorry, I still haven't watched your entire field guide. Um, How much did you get into (laughs) pattern matching in your your field guide? Because that's a huge area in Hazel. Yeah, I focused on it with dates, as Barry uh, so eloquently states. uh, But there is a lot more you can do with it. And 
numbers is, I think, one of the most frequent uses with the most recent version of Hazel. You can have it look for individual digits or just a number. So, you know, if you've got like if you've got something, I'll go back to my day job. Like if you have a case number in California, a lot of times civil cases have a very specific pattern to the way they're numbered. You can go in and look for that pattern and then pull that out as a variable to use in naming the file or do something else with it. Um, there's a lot of ways you can do it. To me, the dates is the, is the big one, though. So that was the one that I focused on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Apple Notes, because lots of people have feelings about Apple Notes, some of them positive, some of them not so positive. And uh, I'll be curious to see, uh, you know, we're, as we're recording this, WWDC is coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, I'll be curious to see what, if any, attention Apple Notes gets at the keynote. Um, but Neil wrote in about clipping web pages to Apple Notes. He says, I recently made the switch from Evernote Premium to Apple Notes, and one thing I miss about Evernote is the web clipper. While Apple Notes does have an extension, I really miss the ability to capture the entire web page in HTML-like format with a single click. For example, if I'm trying to capture a flight reservation in my password-protected Southwest Airlines page, the Note extension will just get the URL and thumbnail. When I click on it later, I need to open the page and re-enter my password. Katie mentioned doing research in Evernote. I used to, or storing research in Evernote. I used to do the same, but I'm now finding it frustrating to be able to grab the whole web page quickly in Notes. If you revisit the Notes issue, I'd be curious to know if you've had the same problem and what your workarounds are. And David, I know you have a workaround. Well, on iOS, I have one. Well, I guess there's a couple ways to go about it. But on iOS, I created a workflow. Um, you know, the workflow app I created a, it's very confusing because the app is called workflow and in it you create workflows. So I created a workflow workflow that uh, will take a web page and save it to Apple notes. And it works really great. I'll put it in the show notes uh, and you can just download it and use it. The, um, uh, with respect to on the, on the internet, if I'm on the Mac, I mean, I'll just print the page to PDF if I want to put it in there. Although I don't really have much cause to do that. I don't normally put web pages in. I don't think it's as elegant as Evernote in that way. So if, if that's a big deal to you, it may, may be a, a showstopper. Well, I know that this is just a, a large use case of Evernote for several people. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Ted wrote in with a tip about how to add YouTube videos to Apple Notes. So if you don't add web pages to Apple Notes, David, you probably don't add YouTube videos to Apple Notes. No, but he found a way you can do it. And it's through the sharing icon. We're recording this. You know, this show is coming out about a week before uh, WWDC, and I am very interested to see what the iOS sharing and um, a lot of the problems we're talking about here are limitations of iOS. Um, I'm very curious to see how that all plays out. But uh, he can do it on the, the iPad using the iCab browser. iCab, spelled I-C-A-B, is really the jack-of-all-trades browser. It's like... That is one you want to have in your pocket if you're a big iOS user, because just about anything time you run into a wall with Safari and it doesn't share something or doesn't do something you want it to do, iCab will probably do it for you. So he does it with iCab. Uh, he puts it in iCab. There's an option to download it. Once it downloads, then he can share it to several apps. And one of the apps that will accept the sharing is Apple Notes. So that's how he gets YouTube videos into an Apple Note. Cool. 
and then uh, Morrow wrote in to tell me uh, that I was right. And he said, Katie, please let David know that you are completely right about Apple Notes. It took me about 500 notes for it to fail. Syncing just stopped, and I noticed after about a month that my iPad, iPhone, and Mac and iCloud web app were out of sync. Now, I had a lot of PDFs and photos in my notes, and although I wasn't at uh, David's 2K Magic Catalyst number, my notes were probably very heavy, and I couldn't easily export them anywhere. And I tried everything I could find on the web except restoring on my devices, and I decided to come back to Evernote and had to manually export everything after a good clean. He said, I'm not really happy with Evernote, but it's reliable at this point, and my data is safer. So, Well, sorry to put that put you through that. <laughs> I feel ha- a little responsible. Well, have you heard from many people having having this type of problem? I, I have received, I haven't kept track of them, but I have received, I would say, about five emails from people saying that they ran into trouble at about 2,000. I haven't heard anybody say they ran, in, ran into trouble under 2,000. This is the only one under 2,000. And uh, but uh, I don't have a lot of images and uh, the extra data that Morrow had. So maybe that maybe it's not the number of notes, but the amount of data. That's probably um, it. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, but I guess we'll see. I mean, uh, as I've said, I'm not um, going to be committing to Apple Notes for the rest of my life. But the convenience of it is is so nice that especially if you use a lot of iOS, just about anything can feed data into it. I mean, we just had. Clayton Morris on a few weeks ago and he runs a network television show basically using data that he saves to Apple notes. I mean, there, there's some really nice pieces of it. Uh, but I do think that obviously there's a problem when the data gets too big and maybe this is just another example of Apple's cloud data problem. Uh, hopefully we get more feedback on this at WWDC. For instance, if uh, we get through the new version the announcement for the new version of uh, iOS 10 and the next Mac OS, whatever that's called. Um, and we find that there's no new additions to Apple notes, then I'm going to be a little worried. Uh, well, I, I kind of have an update. I, I admit I have been using Apple notes a little more. Oh, really? Yeah. You didn't tell me that. I was saving it for you. Saving it as a little okay. surprise. Not, okay. not, as, not as big of a surprise. So you have more than like five notes in it now? I, I probably have about a dozen now. Okay. You're going crazy. He's going crazy. Making progress. Um, But I'll tell you what what I have found it for, and I found a couple of uses for it. I'm I'm working on a a, a project right now, a pretty involved project. And um, and, and where I've I've had to remember a lot of things, I've had to take notes, things that I've wanted to follow up on. And I really want it to be top of mind, and I want them to be very available. And I'm trying to figure out where, and I was trying to figure out where do I want to put this stuff? Do I want to start a note in Evernote? Do I want to start... Um, just keep a, a, a drafts thing, you know, and I just thought, well, I'll, I'll put this in Apple Notes because as I have a thought, I want to be able to stick a note in Apple Notes. And um, some of those are things I'm going to talk to certain people about. So I've got a note for those people of when I see them, these are the things I want to talk to them about. And then I've got a note with just, you know, more general questions or things to follow up on. And uh, that's where I'm putting it is I've got a couple of notes devoted to this project in an Apple Note. And it's kind of a place where I'm kind of putting my thoughts before I organize them together. And I think it makes a little more sense because it's a, it's lighter to use than, than Evernote, if that makes sense. It's very quick for me to get to these documents. I can get them from everywhere. I can get them from my iPhone, my iPad, my Mac. Uh, 
And I think part of yeah, that is convenience. Yeah. yeah. And I think part of that is is because I have so few notes in Apple Notes and because I have so many notes in, in Evernote that getting to a note quickly in Evernote is a multi-step process. You know, opening Evernote, unlocking Evernote, searching for the note, finding the note, you know, it's 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 several steps versus getting to that note in iNote is or Apple Notes is is pretty quick. Um and, and I can I can also use Siri now. So if I'm I'm driving, I can just tap it and say add this to this particular note. The the other advantage of it, I find that uh, editing text in Apple Notes is easier and better than Evernote. I, I just have never been happy with the way Evernote's text editor is implemented. So, so that's what that's what I've been doing. I've been I've been using it a little bit more for this particular project, and it's it's been okay. I think you should commit fully to to um, Microsoft's um, OneNote. I think you should put like a thousand in there and test it for us. I will consider that. So, and and okay. while while I'm considering that, uh, why don't we take a quick break and uh, talk about our next sponsor, and then we've got more feedback. We'll come back and talk with. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by One Password. If you haven't already, now's the time to install One Password on your iPhone, iPad, and Mac. It seems like every time I read the news lately, there's another group of hackers that have figured out a way to steal people's passwords and account information. Hacking is a profession. You're going to need professionals on your side, keeping those bad guys at bay. It's all okay, though. The team at 1Password has your back. They are relentless in protecting your security. Just recently, they released an updated version for the Mac, version 6.3, that supports a lot of new browsers like Vivaldi, Brave, and Opera Developer. And they also improved LargeType. LargeType is a feature that can put your password in LargeType on the screen. It makes it really easy when you have to type it in on your phone or some other device. Well, now LargeType can be anchored so you can click elsewhere on your Mac and not lose the LargeType text of your password. Simply drag the window anywhere on your screen and you're good to go. The new version also added accessibility improvements for VoiceOver. Also, one password for Teams has officially launched. It's out of beta and it looks great. They have two pricing plans. The standard plan for Teams gives you everything you need to secure and manage your team, while the Pro plan is designed for teams with advanced business needs. The good news is if you sign up before July 31st, you're going to get the Pro plan features for the standard plan pricing. So not only is 1Password a great solution for individuals managing their passwords and logins, now with the addition of 1Password Teams and 1Password Families, it's also a great solution for groups of people. No matter which flavor of 1Password you get, you're going to have those great features that are across all of the platform, like the ability to create and use complex passwords on the fly and have the application remember them for you. You also get secure notes, which allows you to lock away some of your most important data on your iPhone and your iPad behind the 1Password wall. And of course, you get the knowledge and support of the 1Password team looking out for your security 24-7. We hear from listeners all of the time who say they finally got around to trying one password and they can't believe they didn't do it sooner. Don't let that be you. Go check it out. One password puts passwords in their place. Put it to work for you today. Thank you, one password, for supporting the show. Make sure to use the link in our show notes and let them know you heard about it from us. Okay. Uh, in addition to talk about Hazel and Apple Notes, we had a lot of general feedback this month. Yeah. We wrote in. Kind of just our yeah, miscellaneous Lee wrote, stuff. 
Yeah, Lee wrote in. Uh, he says uh, he wants a remote for the iPad. David asked about a remote that works with iOS. He uses a Tichi Bluetooth smart pointer, and it works perfectly. He said he's used it in presentations to both advanced slides, but it also has a feature for media controls. And he can start and play and pause videos with the remote and use it on the iPad Air and with the iPad Pro. The big one, by the way. Yes. Uh, right. It's a Bluetooth remote. When I After I talked about that on the show, I started looking into it deeper. And Satichi makes several good Bluetooth remotes. I actually have two of them. I have the Smart Pointer. I also have another one that they have with just three buttons. It's a forward and a backward uh, slide advance, forward and backward, and a red laser. Uh, in some ways, they're inferior uh, in many ways, actually, they're inferior to the remote that I use with my Mac. The Mac remote I have has a green laser as opposed to a blue one. I like yes, the fact that my laser is different talked, color. Talked about this with the lightsaber thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just better, right? And the um, uh, it has removable batteries. My Mac one does, whereas these are all Bluetooth, uh, these are all uh, USB charged, which you know, how do you know if the battery is going to be full when you get to the event? Or if the battery is going to die, I always I would rather be able to just, you know, crack it open and put a fresh pair of batteries in right before I stand up. Uh, so there's several things I don't like about it. But the thing I do love about it is I can go give a presentation with my iPad and not have to worry about it. I just gave a big presentation a week ago uh, to a, a big group of people, did the whole thing off the iPad Pro with uh, one of these Satichi remotes, and I am sold. So I'll be writing this up at Max Sparky at some point. And we'll put links in the show notes for these two remotes. So this, right. this one gets a, a little geeky. Um, I, I'm pr- probably not going to fully grasp this, but but here we go. So Malad wrote in and told us about Cask, C-A-S-K, via Homebrew for updating and installing apps. And says, I was just listening to your last episode, Geeking Out with TJ Luoma where he talks about his shell scripts to download Mac apps. I thought you might want to know that there's already a popular extension to Homebrew called Cask, which does exactly the same thing in a more elegant way. It has more than 3,000 apps in their library maintained by more than 400 people. It's at caskroom.github.io, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And in case you're not familiar with Homebrew, it's very useful for setting up new Macs. I keep a list of all the apps I have installed via Cask in my .files repository in GitHub, which means that every time I set up a new computer, I can install all of them as part of restoring my .files. Did you get all that, David? Yeah, I did. And just to, uh, I followed up with TJ after this came in. And, you know, as an airing of grievances, I said, TJ, what do you think of Cask? And TJ, I'm going to just tell you right now so we can save him the trouble of sending us the email. He says the problem with Cask is that each update has to be updated manually by one of the volunteers. And if you have a popular app, that's fine. But otherwise, you miss an update because no one else updated it. So um, maybe. And then he concluded, maybe I'm just a control freak. <laughs> I think it might be the second one. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know. Uh, Jason wrote in about Homebridge. And he said, you know, just finished listening to the podcast with Clayton. One of the things you should look into is Homebridge. It's a desktop command line background process that links lots of devices to HomeKit. So he uses it with his Wemos and his Harmony Home Hub. He can tell Siri good night, and it turns off his TV and light, both of which are not normally able to work with HomeKit, which is true that neither one of those have HomeKit support. He says it's a geeky solution, but that never stopped us, right? Uh, so I wouldn't recommend this for a layman, but it's good for a geek. Uh, 
I'm going to look into this. Uh, it looks interesting to me. Yeah, Why I think, not? I think Adam Christensen from the Matcast has got this set up and, and running and is pretty happy with it. So basically, what the, you know, we talked about how um, so many of the devices that we already own, like our Wemos, aren't compatible with Apple's HomeKit. But this is this is and you know unless they they you know Philips Hue had to like build an extra box and sell that extra box so unless they did something and HomeBridge is essentially the bridge to and it runs on a Mac to bridge these additional devices to make them HomeKit compatible so it's a workaround but it's a pretty cool idea yeah why not and, and everything today has an asterisk next to it because I, I always have this sense of optimism going into WWDC that. HomeKit will get fixed and Apple Notes will get better. And I, I hope I'm not disappointed next week. Well, we're, we're going to talk about that towards the end of the show about uh, previewing yeah. WWDC and, and what we think is going to happen there and what we hope is going to happen there. Yeah. So. Uh, we had a lot of uh, listener workflow tips come in this month as well. You want to share a couple of those? Yeah. Here's one from Tyler with a tip about an app called DropShelf. Hey there, David and Katie. I have a quick tip for you and your listeners. I use Automator to send a file to an app called DropShelf, and it's really handy. I use it in a similar way as Katie uses Unclutter, but I've customized a little workflow so that when I have the print dialog box open in any app, I can save as a PDF and it goes directly to DropShelf. And DropShelf is just a little tab on the side of your screen that you can drop files or text snippets or anything like that in there. And then you can drag them out and place them in any other app that you use. So as what I do is sometimes I get an email that needs to be turned into a PDF and then added to for documentation in our accounting software. So I make the PDF and it saves it to drop shelf. And then I drag and drop it into our accounting software for uh, documentation with that individual transaction. So it's been really helpful for me. I also have my ScanSnap scanner set up to send everything directly to Drop Shelf. And I'm sure you could do it with uh, Unclutter as well, but it's been really helpful. Thanks for all that you guys do. Yeah, it just makes sense to, to be able to put it somewhere. I use an action folder. Everybody's got a place for stuff to go. Um, and Drop Shelf is a good solution. I played with that app a little while. Um, I ended up Drop Zone is the one I use the most, especially on a laptop, because um, when you're in full screen, it allows you to, um, you know, go between full screen apps and still access things. Like when I was just preparing that presentation last week and I was in Keynote, I was putting a bunch of assets in there. Um, the uh, And you know, there's there's a lot of these applications out now that, that allow you to share that data across screens. So Dale wrote in with something I know that is very near and dear to your heart. He was talking about the Apple Pencil and magnets. And yeah. he, he, Dale, uh, he sent us a picture, but uh, it's, it's probably going to be hard to attach that to the show notes. He says, here I am sitting with my iPad Pro, the big one, along with the smart keyboard, and I dropped my Apple Pencil, and it's stuck to the magnets that connect the keyboard to the iPad. It turns out that the pencil rests here perfectly, and it's in easy reach whenever I need it. This is great for me, as I usually lose my pencil down the side of the sofa. I don't know if it's a thing that's widely known, but it made me smile. And so basically what he's talking about is 
you know, if you think of the uh, the iPad Pro and the keyboard when it's put together almost like a laptop, this would kind of be like setting the pencil and having it stick, you know, kind of right where the, the keyboard connects to the screen, you know, kind of above yeah, just, the, the home, the function keys. And just above the top row of keys, you just lay it there and the magnet just zips it in. I mean, it's great. I, I've been doing that, too, and I didn't think about mentioning it on the show. I was glad Dale wrote in with that because quite often I use the pencil off and on while I'm computing on my iPad. And that's just a great place to keep it. Just like Dale, it, you know, there's no clip on the thing. So if you just lay it down somewhere, you don't know if it's going to roll into the couch or off the table or whatever. And they're quite expensive. So you always worry about breaking it. Uh, it it's a really natural place to, to rest the pencil. Now, now that we're in this a little while, Katie, how are you using your Apple pencil these days? Or are you? I got to tell you, I'm not using it a ton. It's it's sitting here in the pencil cup on my desk. It's been sitting there for a while. When's I, the last time you actually used it? It's been a few weeks. Really? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I, I used mine like an hour ago. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you know, that, but there's an update, by the way, total aside, liquid text, that, that PDF app that I talk about once in a while, they came out version two now can do multiple documents. I was just on the phone earlier today with somebody. I was using the pencil with liquid text to, to kind of get through a PDF document. But the, um, I really find the Apple pencil way more useful than I thought I would when I got into this thing. The, uh, you know, Apple did a really good job of talking about how you can create Disney quality art, even though Jared doesn't use it, uh, with the Apple pencil and the iPad pro. So I thought that's what it was mainly for artists, but I use it so often. Uh, not only do I use it to mark up documents as I do a lot of PDF review, I also find myself using it of all, of all things to operate the interface. Like um, when I go through my morning kind of sweep through OmniFocus on my iPad, I use the pencil. Uh, do you ever use pencil for like user interface type stuff? You know, a lot, I've heard people that really in, enjoy this. I, I don't, I mean, if I have it in my hand, I, I will, but I kind of just assume, you know, use my fingers for, for user interface type stuff. I, I find the, the pencil to be almost sometimes too precise to use for, you know, hunting and pecking and point and clicking in the, in the user interface. And sometimes I'll, I'll miss things when I'm doing it with the Apple pencil. Okay. Um, so if you've got an iPad pro and a pencil and you've got an app like OmniFocus, where you do a lot of like, maybe clicking and tapping as you're you know, doing a sort or something like that. I recommend trying it. Just try it for a day or two and see how it goes for you because it's fast. I don't know if it's faster, but it feels faster to me. Um, I don't have to do as much with my hand. You know, I just kind of sit there because the pencil is kind of long. So I hold, it's a long pencil. I hold the end of it basically and I'll just be reading it and I'll just make slight movements with my wrist because I'm so crazy I'm sitting here doing it while I'm talking to you and I can very quickly like select and change dates and defer things and you know mark them as done and all that kind of stuff I find actually quite useful with the pencil and uh, that's something I never thought I would do so uh, try using it for user interface type things especially with apps that you're going to be tapping a lot on and just see how it goes for you. Well, while we're on the topic of the Apple Pencil and magnets, you know, there are other magnets that are built into the Apple, uh, the iPad Pro case, um, particularly the magnets that are designed for the smart cover. 
And recently I, I did have to recharge my Apple Pencil. And, uh, you know, when you recharge it, you have to take the top off the uh, the Apple Pencil and, you know, you stick the Apple Pencil. I recharged it by sticking it into the bottom of the iPad, even though that's still a little foreign to me, but, you know, that's what you do. And I've got this little top and I thought, you know, what what do I do with this? What do I do with the top? I'm going to lose this. I'll never be able to find this again because I um, set it on my my nightstand and, and plugged it in while I was going to bed one night. And um, I remember seeing a post from iPhone JD, although I'm, I'm sure it was brought up other places as well, that um, if you rest the the cap on the top of the iPad Pro where the uh, where the magnets line up for the smart case, that the cap is magnetic and will also just stay right there. Yeah. It's also kind of fun just to lay the cap on the surface of your iPad Pro and let the magnets just slowly pull it into place. I don't know. It's kind of hypnotic. I didn't know how far it would pull it. So I kind of gave it some help and put it where it was supposed to be. But I give it a little nudge. It usually finds its, it usually finds its way. I, I can um, just seeing you like sitting there holding your big 12 inch iPad pro and then just kind of like wheeling your little magnet around. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> the, uh, I, there's a couple of things I don't like about the whole process. This goofy connector that you get with it, where it's two female um, lightning ports. I'm just, no, I'm going to lose it at some point. I found a good place to keep it and I do charge my pencil there, but I also normally just charge the pencil connected to the iPad. So do you just have like a dedicated lightning cable for your Apple pencil charging that you just keep that plugged into all the time? No, I don't. I've got a couple um, cables uh, coming out at my desk and I, for a while I had connect, kept the Apple pencil connector on one of them. But I am trying one of these Logitech. In fact, maybe I should talk about it later. I'm trying. I have a Logitech stand that 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 charges it through the smart connector, and uh, that took that extra cable off my hands. But what I find is, you, know, you don't need to keep the pencil at 100 percent all the time. Uh, it charges very quickly if you just plug it in. So if I'm somewhere and suddenly it starts running out of juice, I'll just plug it in the bottom for a minute or two, and then I'm good for I think another 30 minutes, and then I can charge it later. So. I don't know. I, I'm finding more uses for the pencil than I expected. Um, I I don't want to use an iPad without a pencil at this point. Uh, I don't have any carpal tunnel. I know I've heard some people say that they like to use a pencil because it solves carpal tunnel problems. I don't have any problems like that, but I do find it in some ways more efficient and just kind of a nice change of pace. So to get back to Dale's point, when I'm sitting there with the iPad plugged into my smart keyboard, there's no reason why I don't want to have my pencil nearby. And uh, it's a very natural process to just kind of tear it out of the smart keyboard and then use it to mark up a document and then snap it back in. Uh, It's all very fluid for me. It it feels like learning to compute all over again, and it just pushes all of my nerd buttons. Have you come up with a solution yet for where the Apple Pencil goes when your iPad is closed? So when that smart cover is not open? Yeah, I bought a, a sleeve from SF Bags. You know, that's the people I always go to um, Waterfield. They have some really great cases and they have a little sleeve that I bought and it's got on the side of it, just a little pocket that the pencil fits into. And generally when I'm not using the iPad, I slip it into that sleeve with the pencil on the side. The, um, and then when I want to take it out, then I can just use it. And the other thing that's funny as you know, the two iPad pro club, uh, you have to repair it whenever you switch between devices. You know, my, my curly solved that problem by just buying two pencils, but I haven't gone that far down the rabbit hole yet. So when I switch, like 
I was working on the mini earlier today and then later I'm going to do something on the pro because I know it's a big document. I want to have a bigger version of it. I'll have to repair it again. All right. Well, we've got a little more feedback uh, to get to, but before we do, let's take a quick break for our our, uh, next sponsor and then come back and talk a little bit about budgeting and personal finance apps. That's something we're, we're asked about often. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Linode. Linode is a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world. This makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in under a minute with plans starting at just $10 a month. You'll be able to choose your resources, Linux distro, and node location right from within the manager tool. And once you're up and running, you can easily deploy, boot, and resize your virtual server with just a few clicks. Linode servers offer industry-leading native SSD storage, powerful Intel E5 processors, which are the fastest you can get in the cloud market, and they have access to a 40-gigabit network with multiple levels of redundancy. They have an API that will allow you to easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. Best of all, Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backup and node balancers. This means you'll never get a surprise bill. Linode has over 4,000 customers who are serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. They're even open over holidays. Linode is committed to keeping up their infrastructure. For example, they've recently switched from Zen to KVM, and their latest Unix benchmark showed a 300% performance increase. So why should you use Linode? Well, it's great for tasks like running a private Git server, hosting a large database, running a mail server, operating powerful applications, and so much more. In fact, I bet you wouldn't be surprised to know that many of your favorite websites are up and running right now on Linode. As a listener of this show, you can sign up at linode.com slash MPU, and you'll not only be supporting us, but you will also get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose. So head on over to linode.com slash MPU, that's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash MPU, to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Or just use the promo code MPU20 at checkout. That's MPU20 at checkout. Thanks so much to Linode for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So, so uh, getting back to the subject of finance software, it's like the third rail of the Mac Power users. It, it is, it is. So Kevin wrote in and talked about um, he actually wrote in with a tip and he said, I'm listening to old Mac power users. I'm like, oh, this must be a really old one because we have not talked about personal finance for a while. And he said, um, about five, up until, or until about five years ago, I used Quicken, but then I got lazy and quit entering data. What I miss most about it or any other money tracking software is the record keeping. For example, when did I last get my timing belt on my car replaced? Bada bing. I like that. Um, When did I get my tires last rotated? Nobody has ever mentioned this type of use for Quicken, Mint, or iBank, which I guess has now been named Banktivity. I did not know that. Um, So I guess what what Kevin is doing is that he would routinely make use of like the note field um, in his money management software. And when he was putting things in, you know, if he was going to Firestone or Jiffy Lube or the, you know, car dealership or whatever to, instead of just putting in the transaction, he would also make note of timing belt replaced, tires rotated or whatever he was doing. And I got to tell you, that's a really good idea. I 
never use the notes field. And I'm really good about updating, um, you know, my ledger. That's a really smart thing to do. I, uh, I, I solved that problem uh, going back to earlier in the show with Hazel and Text Expander. So I have like one of my snippets for a naming file is Subaru fix. We have a Subaru. So if I type Subaru fix, it puts in the date, puts in two dashes and then puts in Subaru fix at the end. And then Hazel knows to file that away in a specific folder for maintenance on that vehicle. And then I get to type in, it, it removes the cursor and I can type in whatever the fix is. If it's a timing belt or whatever, I'll put it in. But the, um, but I, I, I don't think I would want to do this in my financial software, to tell you the truth. Well, it's, it's, it's a thought. Um, and I guess that brings a follow-up question is we, we've had so many people ask us, when are you going to do another money management show? I'm, I'm lost with this. And, you know, I think my question, my answer to all of them has been, you know, I, I don't know that the state of money management on the Mac has changed that much since we did the last um, finance show. Uh, my, my solution really hasn't changed. So I'm really kind of struggling with, uh, with why there's a, a need to update that show. Um, for, for what it's worth, I'll tell you that I'm still using Quicken for Mac. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I think when we last did that show, Quicken Essentials was the tool that was out. Quicken has since kind of discontinued that product. And now there's a, a Quicken for Mac. Um, they updated every couple of years. I think I'm still using version 2015. One of the sneaky things that Quicken does is that if you don't update at least every couple of years, uh, miraculously, the version that you has stops auto-syncing with your banks. Um, and you have to get the new version to get the the syncing support. But the one that I'm currently using still offers syncing support. So because that's very important to me, I guess at some point when that stops working, I'll I'll upgrade to get the syncing support for another couple of years. But I think it was around 50 bucks or so. Um, you could usually find it on sale. Typically after New Year's or around tax time, they they put it on sale. And um, that's what I'm using. I, I like it because... You know, I basically use it as a glorified ledger. I don't use really any of the budgeting or any of the bill pay solution for it. Um, I'm really just using it um, as a ledger to track my expenses, to know what I've spent, where I spent it, how much money I have, and and what's coming up. And so, you know, for me, I, I could do something like this because it, it imports everything from my bank and from my credit cards. I probably do that. I sit down on Sundays, uh, maybe every other Sunday sync it up, reconcile everything, make sure that the transactions are correct. So uh, I kind of, I kind of like Kevin's idea of, of using the notes field to look for things like that. Well, well, let us know what you're using and we'll take a look and see if there's anything in there to go back and cover the show again. One question in my mind is how many of our users are using some of the online services like Mint and some of the other like cloud-based financial management software solutions. Those also sync. Uh, but whenever we talk about that, we get lots of angry emails from accountants saying that we should not be doing that. So, but it's been several years. So I, I am curious to hear what people are doing. Also, I'm curious to hear if people are trying to do this on iOS. I guess you could with a cloud-based system, but I don't really see like a Banktivity app working on an iPad, but maybe it is. So, yeah. so let us know. We're going to, we'll look at the subject again, but I, I'm curious to hear what the listeners are doing. Yeah, every time we mention this, we have people um, chime in, and, and they are in the chat room right now, uh, talking about uh, why in AB you need a budget, um, which is based yeah. primarily on the envelope system. Yeah, so. that that one is still beloved. So, yeah. so 
we'll, we'll see. Um, I don't use YNAB, but someone who does, if you want to send an audio comment for the for the next live show, um, that that would be a great way for us to talk more about it and and have some insight from someone who does and why you like it. All right. Um, so how are we on time? We got, you want to go a little bit further with some of the feedback? Yeah, let's let's continue with this, and then I think we'll we'll probably talk a little bit about your upcoming trip. Okay. Uh, so Andrew um, wrote in about Karma Go. He says, hey, I wanted to share some feedback um, in response to your latest live show. In episode 320, one listener question was about sharing a mobile hotspot, and he's had tons of success doing that uh, with his Karma Go. The idea behind Karma Go is that anyone who joins gets 100 megabytes free, as does the hotspot owner, a perk for sharing, and thus the name Karma. I found it to be a great option sharing with coworkers when we're out on travel. Didn't know that existed. No, I didn't know it existed either. I'd always thought that, and I don't, it, it's kind of one of those things that, that works only if you've got a bunch of them, I think. Yeah. I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, and then finally wrapping up our listener feedback, uh, Damien wrote in with uh, a new email app that he's using uh, called Unibox. So we'll take a listen. Hi, Katie and David. This is Damien Schroers from Luxembourg, a small country with less than half a million inhabitants sitting between Belgium, France, and Germany. Recently, you've mentioned the idea of making a show on email clients, and I wondered whether you knew about Unibox, U-N-I-B-O-X, available at uniboxapp.com. Unlike other email clients, Unibox is people-centric rather than message-centric. In other words, when you open the application, you don't see folders or messages, but a list with the people with whom you've exchanged emails recently. This means that it's very easy to retrieve messages, and thanks to customizable gestures, you can quickly archive or delete multiple conversations with a single swipe. In addition, you can easily access all the attachments that were shared via email. There is a free trial version on OS X, and the app is free on iOS. But if you want more features, like the ability to use it with more than one email account, then you'll need to buy the full version at $16 for your Mac on the Mac App Store, or make a $5 in-app purchase on iOS. I'd be curious to hear what you and other Mac Power users listeners think about this concept. Love the show. Keep up the good work. I am... Actually, I wrote about this app in my email field guide. It was brand new when the book came out, and I thought it was an interesting take. So, so like Damien was saying, when you use this application, it sorts your email by person rather than chronological order that they came in. It's useful if you've got a lot of email you're working through. Like, yeah, I, I, I think it's really nice if if you like don't look at your email every day, for instance, and you just want to kind of go and say, all right, let me see everything that Katie sent me. Uh, it's definitely a different way to look at your email. I, to me, it's not really been good as a daily driver because it, um, I, I look at email more than, you know, once a day. And as it comes in, it, 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 this just doesn't fit for me, but if that fits for you, this is a really good implementation of it. And I do like that. They're trying different things with email on iOS. Uh, I've been teasing an iOS email show for a while. I, I installed like six, including Unibox is one of the ones I've been working with. 
include install like six of the most popular email clients on my iOS devices, and I've been using them for a couple months now. In the meantime, Canvas has done a whole show on it. <laughs> and uh, somebody told me that they're talking about it on Cortex now, too. I haven't listened to it. But, you know, so apparently other pieces of Relay are also discussing the same subject. I do think that we're still going to cover it in the very near future because I actually have some real uh, opinions on this stuff. And I did listen to the Canvas show and I, I disagree with some of the things they said and have some ideas that weren't discussed. So I think we have a network show wars. Yeah, no, I, I, no, no network wars. Those guys are really smart. But um, as someone who's who's habitually used Apple Mail forever, um, I have found some third party apps that I really love and I'm using email on iOS at least quite a bit outside of Apple mail these days. And I want to talk about that. Uh, so we're going to talk, talk about it more in the future. Thanks Damien for bringing this one up. Um, as I'm prepping that show, if you've got some iOS email client that you particularly love, let me know and I will take a look at it or we can discuss it maybe on the show. Uh, and that is going to happen pretty soon. I did want to wait until after WWDC because once again, in my optimistic mind, Apple mail will get much better, even though, uh, it's very likely we'll get through it and we still won't have a sharing button. I hope we have a sharing um, button. It, let's talk about, um, let's talk about some tech we're playing with and then we'll get to WWDC after the last ad. Um, I, Katie, you've got anything fun that you're doing these days with your, uh, your technology? Well, I've got something different that I'm using software related and I'm, I'm, I, I kind of feel a little guilty about it, but it's solving a problem. So I, I no figure guilt here. no guilt here. I, Let's just hear I, it. I talk about it. Um, but let me, let me set this up for you. Let me, let me tell you the problem to be solved in, in what we're doing. So in, in my day job, as you know, I'm a lawyer and I, I have to work with other people in my office. I, I have a, a legal assistant. Um, there's another attorney who I, in my office that I frequently collaborate with cases with, and my office is, is fairly small, and we don't have a dedicated, um, gosh, what do you call it, practice management system. And I really, we really didn't want one because those can be a little overbearing from time to time, and you know they can really change the way that you work. And and I kind of like still being lean and mean and keeping files on my Mac and and doing things like that. But the piece that we were really missing is the ability to share tasks with other people in the office. There's some limited functionality of being able to do that uh, with with Outlook. It's it's not great, um, but uh, you know I keep all of my stuff in in OmniFocus, which I love. But there's not really a mechanism to to be able to share my OmniFocus with with somebody else who I need to delegate tasks to. So we went out and we we looked at a couple of options, and what we came up with was Todoist. And Todoist is a platform. It's primarily web-based, but then they have apps for for Mac, for PC, for iOS, for Android, for for just about everything. Um, and it all syncs up through the web. And it's just a web-based task management system where you can create multiple projects. You can have multiple collaborators on multiple projects. You can have projects that are solely yours. You can have projects that you work with certain collaborators on. You can have projects that you work with everybody in your team on. Um, you have an inbox and you have projects. It It is set up a little very differently from OmniFocus. So I've, it, it's kind of been an interesting challenge getting my brain wrapped around it and going back and forth. But, you know, they you, you can use Todoist with, with the GTD system. And I believe it's free for basic use, but they also have um, uh, business plans. 
And the, the business plan that we're on, and I don't remember the exact price, but it was under $30 per person per year in the organization. And the price was really right for, for us. I mean, it was, you still paid something, but it was, it was pretty reasonable cost of entry for us to, to go ahead and get started. So really we, we got, I think three people set up on it originally. So for under a hundred bucks for the year, um, we could, we could really try this out. And what it's allowed me to do is I basically set up projects for clients that, um, that I'm working on things with these people on. And then I've been able to go in and create individual tasks, such as follow up on this or call this person or send a letter to this person or, you know, whatever it is that I want people to do or whatever it is needs to be done on these those tasks. I can create individual tasks. I can assign them to a person. I can create due dates. And then everybody who's affiliated with that project can can see the tasks that are still outstanding in that project can see who they've been assigned to, can see what due date they've been. Um, so for one particular project, both I and the other attorney in my office and our legal assistant are assigned. And then for other, so we all can see everything that's going on in that project. And then other projects are, are personal to me that I don't assign to anybody. And then nobody can see see those tasks. So um, it's, like I said, it's been a little interesting getting my head wrapped around it. Uh, I certainly, for personal use, it would not be my cup of tea. I still keep all of my personal stuff in OmniFocus. But in a situation where you need to be able to share tasks with people, um, it, it's working for us. Yeah, we've heard from people using Todoist in exactly that collaborative environment, and they're very happy with it. So I'm glad you're glad it's working for you. I am. Um, I, I so my my tech this month. I uh, I went crazy and bought myself a hundred dollar iPad stand, <laughs> the uh, Logitech base, and this is a. Um, piece of aluminum from Logitech and it has a lightning port on the back of it and it just has a smart connector on the front. So with the iPad Pro, you just lay it in there and it magnetically attaches to it and it holds it at a really nice angle. Uh, and I, the way I use this is right next to my iMac. So I've got a cable, an I, a lightning cable coming off the back of my iMac plugged into the back of this thing. And when I sit down to work, I mean, I spend many hours a day at this iMac I just lay my iPad Pro into the base and it'll hold the big size or the or the small size iPad Pro and it charges it through the little um, smart connector. doesn't charge it as fast as you're going to get if you plug a lightning port in. You have to keep it basically plugged in all day to get it a full charge. But the thing that I love about it is, number one, it um, has a really nice angle and it's out of the way. It's, it's relatively small. So when I have my iPad open next to my computer, when I'm resourcing data off of it, I can have a really nice view of it and it will you just lift it out of there. So when I've had enough of sitting at my desk and I want to get up and take a walk and take the iPad, maybe into the backyard, I have a little nice couch in the backyard. I'll go sit back there and work on the iPad. I just lift it out and walk out and I'm good. I don't have to fiddle with getting the cable connected and disconnected. Um, it's just a really nice solution for that problem and there's been some complaints about it i was reading reviews about it before i bought it and uh, the biggest complaint was it takes too long to charge which is true and the other complaint is you can't change the viewing angle but the viewing angle i like is actually pretty nice for the the use i have for it so i, I can't recommend this for everybody but if you're going to put an ipad on your nightstand and want to be able to just pull it out at any time or maybe next to your computer on your desk this is a really great solution and it's called the logitech base 
you have any de- you have any desire for that? Or you, what do you how do you charge your iPad? You just probably plug I it plug in. I plug it in at night. Um, it, yeah. it's not it's not for me. It's a, it's a little rich for my blood for the limited functionality that it has. Yeah, I agree. The fact that I work largely at home, it, it I use it all the time. I like it. So, all right. Well, you've got a trip coming up, and I want to hear about it uh, as well as what we think is going to happen. Uh, But before we do, let's take a quick break and talk about our our last sponsor. This episode of the Mac Power Users is sponsored by Drobo, a family of safe, expandable, yet simple-to-use smart arrays. Drobos are designed to protect your important data forever. Visit drobo.com to learn more and get $100 off by using the discount code MPU100. There's probably nothing more valuable in your life than your digital data. I mean, just think about it for a second. If your house was on fire, what would you grab? I'm guessing it would be your digital files with all your photographs and videos and records. If that's the case, why are you storing it on something as fragile as a hard drive that could fail at any point without any warning? That's where the Drobo comes in. The Drobo's job is to keep that data safe. Hard drive failure is going to happen. The Drobo is built around that eventuality and protects your data. So if one of those drives goes bad, it's okay. The Drobo's got everything protected with its proprietary RAID system. All you have to do is take out the bad drive and slide in a new one. And after a few hours, it'll get it all sorted out for you. Everything is backed up at all times. A few times now I've had drives go bad in my Drobo and I've never lost any data as a result. If I were to just store my data on a single drive, I'd be asking for trouble. Another thing I love about the Drobo is how easy it is to use. With a lot of RAID systems, you've got to match drives and follow all these specific rules, but that's not the case with the Drobo. You can mix and match any drives you happen to have available. As you start to run out of space, take out the smallest drive and replace it with a bigger one, and you're back in the game. No matter what you're doing with your data, there's a Drobo solution available to you. For instance, if you wanted remote access or a small network of Macs or PCs, you could look at the Drobo 5N or the 810N. These are network storage systems that can be extended using the Drobo apps. A lot of our listeners use these to run their home entertainment centers or just as a media collection bin in their home. If you're a photographer and you just want a lot of storage connected to your Mac, look at something like the 5D. It can connect via Thunderbolt or the faster speed USB 3.0, and it can hold tons of data, saving space on your internal SSD for your operating system and applications. The takeaway here is that your data is just too important to leave to fate. Go to thedrobostore.com and check out all of the options they have. There's going to be something there that works for you and gives you a better way to reliably store your data. And the best part is if you use the offer code MPU100 at checkout, you're going to save $100. So once again, that's thedrobostore.com using offer code MPU100. Thank you, Drobo, for your support of the Mac Power users. All right, so David, I'm jealous. You're taking a trip and I'm not. Well, I'm taking a trip, but to a different place. Yeah, well, maybe next year we'll get you out to San Francisco. Um, I mentioned on a on a previous show, but for, for those of you who are curious, um, I was hoping to be able to go to WWDC this year. But unfortunately, I, I guess I should stop saying unfortunately, uh, a family member of mine is getting married in South Beach uh, that Sunday before WWDC, Sunday before the keynote. And so um, and, and we're doing a big family thing. So it's going to be almost impossible. By the time I would get back there, pretty much everybody else would be heading home. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
But but you but, are going to go off to WWDC. Relay's got a lot of stuff going on at WWDC. Um, what, what what are you going to be doing? Well, it's funny. I, I represent a lot of people in the uh, technology sphere, I guess I would say. A lot of software developers and, and web people and IT people. So a bunch of them go to WWDC. So for about, you know, a significant number of my clients, the one time I get to be in the same city as them every year is when they're in San Francisco. So I always go up and get a room and spend a bunch of time just meeting legal clients and just kind of catching up with them. Uh, but I also uh, use it as an opportunity for the Mac power users to hopefully find some new guests for the show. And I also use it for fun. You know, I hang out with friends and I go to, there's a lot of great parties there and it's just fun being in the city where it's all happening for a week. It, it's, it's like Macworld but different. Yeah, that's true. And I think we should we should probably mention we've we've talked about it before. Um this show is going to come out the week before WWDC. Our next regular show is scheduled to come out typically that Sunday night or that early Monday morning of WWDC, but what we're going to do instead um is we're going to hold that show and instead we're going to record it uh live the day, well not live, uh but we're going to record it. We're going to be live. We're not going to be live on relay. But we're going to record it um immediately or as soon as we you can get back to your hotel room um after WWDC. So probably um early afternoon Pacific time, late afternoon Eastern time. Um and then uh get that show turned around as quickly as possible. So it will probably release late Monday night, probably more likely early Tuesday morning, uh with kind of our our thoughts and impressions of of what's going on and what what was announced at at the keynote. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to actually, as soon as it's done with the presentation, I'm going to have lunch with a bunch of friends who are going to be in the room. You know, I, sadly, Apple has not asked me to go into the room. What That's is wrong with them? Member. Yeah. Yeah, no, they need to, they need to look at us podcasters like we're a legitimate one of these days. Well, some, some the, of the um, podcasters are in the room. Just not me. <laughs> but the, uh, anyway, so I'm going to meet with some friends that are going to be in the room so I can kind of have some hands-on experience for whatever happened and uh, just kind of get the air of what's going around. And then we're going to record a show. Uh, it is exciting for me because Apple generally lumps all this stuff into this big announcement at WWDC. Uh, we're going to have new announcements, I'm sure, about the next Mac operating system. We're going to have announcements about whatever they do with the iPad and iOS coming forward. And who knows what else we're going to see. So uh, it's very exciting. And as Apple Power, uh, Mac Power users, uh, hopefully we're going to have some stuff to talk about that we can incorporate into our workflows as this stuff starts to hit hit the airwaves. Yeah. Now, normally we we do not talk about rumors on this show, but I uh, we, we sometimes suspend that around this time of year. So I, I want to kind of take the last five minutes or so that we're we're here and talk about what what do you think is going to happen and and what do you hope is going to happen and um and i have some some thoughts on that i, I the kind of some of the rumors that are that are coming out recently is that there's there's not going to be any new hardware announcements at wwdc this year and i think that's true regrettably i think that that's true we we haven't seen hardware at wwdc we didn't see it last year i'm not sure if we saw it the year before um, or not, but I'm not sure that there's going to be anything that you necessarily have to run out and buy after WWDC this year. I think it's going to be, I mean, keep in mind that this is a developer conference. I think it's going to be an opportunity for Apple to showcase uh, the new Mac operating system, the new iOS operating system. I think we're going to see tweaks to Apple Music. Um, maybe we'll see a big tweak to watch OS. 
but um, but I don't I don't think we're going to get that redesigned Mac MacBook Pro, and I don't think um, we're we're going to get some of those other things that are that that Retina display. Um, I'm I'm waiting for both of those things, but I just don't think we're going to see it tomorrow. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not far off, but you know, there's a lot to cover, and Apple traditionally doesn't do these marathon keynote presentations usually it's rare that you see it go over a couple hours and one of the big complaints about last year's wwdc is that they rambled on a bit so i think they're going to be even more sensitive about that now um so that's okay but let's talk about the stuff that we do uh are interested in Uh, to me i think ios is where a lot of interesting things are happening right now and we're going to have ios 10 hard to believe right we're up to 10 now it is and the um and so there's there's plenty of rumors circulating about there's been the subject of artificial intelligence and intelligent assistance has been a big thing in the news the last month or two as Google continues to flex its muscles and show how good they are at using machine learning and all the data they've collected on everybody to you know to improve things for uh, the intelligent assistance Apple was the first to the 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 table with Siri but they really haven't done much with it. And um, a lot of people are curious to see if we get some news on that this year. I I think we will. I think they have to do something with Siri. And if they don't, it's going to be a huge disappointment. And I I think a big uh, media letdown as well. I think Apple is is really behind the eight ball now with their digital assistant. I don't think we're going to see um, an an Alexa competitor per se. I don't think we're going to see a standalone device. I don't think we're going to see a speaker but I think we're going to have to start seeing Siri get smarter, at least in software. I think we're going to see Siri come to the Mac. I think we're going to see, I hope we're going to see a Siri API that's not too limited. Maybe it will be only open up to select partners, or maybe the API will be limited in, in functionality, what we can do. But I think that's the next step for Siri. Is Siri across the board on Apple hardware has to get better, and then maybe Apple will start incorporating it into other devices like a standalone speaker or something. It feels to me, I don't understand why it's taken this long not for Siri to have a software development kit where app developers can plug into it. Like, I love Overcast. It's a great podcasting app. But with the native podcasting app on the um, on the iPhone, the Apple one, I could say, you know, Ahoy Telephone, play Mac Power Users, and it would do that. Uh, whereas Overcast, even though it's a great app, can't do that. I can't hands-free start a specific podcast while I'm driving down the road because there is no Siri access to it. So it seems unnatural that that should be there. I think one of the hangups has probably been, how do you, you know, how do you have the user identify? You know, it's easy if you have just one app that plays podcasts, but what if I have three and you know, how is it going to know? Maybe I'm going to have to say, tell overcast to, or something. I have to have some kind of qualifier on it. That's how they, that's how Amazon does it with the echo. Um, but it's time and we need it. So hopefully we see that this year. There's a yeah. bunch of rumors circulating around a Siri software development kit, and there's a bunch of rumors circulating around a Mac implementation of Siri. And, uh, I hope that that comes true. One I'll, of the things I was thinking, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, one no. of the things I was thinking about with respect to Siri is, would it be nice if I could type in questions to Siri and have her do things? as opposed to always have to say them out loud. Oh, I, I think Siri and Spotlight are going to merge. I, I think they're going to become one. And I think whenever you're going to be able to type something in the Spotlight, it's it's basically going to be, Spotlight's going to become Siri and vice versa. I sure hope so. 
Yeah. I, sure hope so. I, I don't think you're going to see the Google level of integration and frankly finesse that Google showed at IO with the intelligent assistant stuff because Apple doesn't necessarily have as much data on us to, to do some of the stuff they're doing. And I feel culturally, I don't think Apple is as into it as, as Google is, but they need to keep moving the ball forward nonetheless. Yeah, I also wonder to what extent Apple will address security issues in the wake of this this big FBI drama that they've had a couple of months ago. It, it may be too soon because remember, the things that Apple is, is talking about at WWDC now has been months in the pipeline. I mean, probably almost a year in the pipeline. I, I think the the cycle that was talked about by some of the Apple developers is that you know, typically about three months after after an, an update or after a major OS update ships is when they start working on the next one. So, I mean, it's, it's probably been six months or so and they've been working on the stuff that's going to be announced at this WWDC. So I don't know if they're going to address security. I don't know if we're going to start, um, you know, if some of their cloud services are going to be changed, if we're going to start seeing encryption in more places. Um, but I think that's a possibility of, of things that we might see anywhere. There there have been talks about um, integrating Touch ID into the Macs, but I think that's really something that uh, if it may be coming, I'm not so sure we'll hear about it at WWDC because uh, that's going to be something that's going to require a hardware update. So I think that could be one of the stealth announcements that's in there, but doesn't really get fletched out until we get our, our hardware in September. Um, and so, but we'll see. Uh, there's a lot of rumors around the naming of the Mac Macintosh operating system. Uh, I think just recently we had a guest refer it to as Mac OS X. I forget who it was, but the, um, it's just so easy to call it OS 10 OS X because it's an X, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it's been around that now it's OS X 10.12 coming out, which kind of doesn't make sense. It's it's they're ready for a renaming. One of the things last year at, at, that I really enjoyed was um, John Gruber, a John Gruber's daring fireball party. Uh, they had you know a special guest show up, and it happened to be Phil Schiller. And Gruber was giving them a hard time about the way they're they're naming the watch OS, and he says, "Well, it will all make sense soon." It felt to me kind of like an admission that. It's going to be iOS, macOS, watchOS when we're all done with this. Well, we've even seen Apple slip up on some of their own web pages and refer to it as macOS, and then that's quickly been fixed. So yeah. I, I think that's that's pretty much a, a foregone conclusion. Um, we're, we're also seeing some uh, hints about um, another iOS redesign, perhaps not as significant, some changes to the notification system. Um, notifications have, have certainly gotten better, but they're still... Uh, there's still a long way to go. Some sometimes they're not quite on par, even with with Android's notification system. Um, I, I'd like to continue to see. We started with with iOS eight and then haven't really continued. But you know, deeper integration into the operating system to give the developers additional hooks that they can jump into. Yeah, it felt to me like last year, about halfway development through development of iOS 9, Apple realized that the iPad needs more love and attention. You can't just treat it as the same operating system as the phone, which they've done for a long time. Because if you're going to get real work done on the iPad, there's certain things you need to have happen. And we got split screen and we got a whole, you know, we got a whole bunch of improvements last year to the iPad. But a lot of it still feels a little half-baked to me, like they were in a rush to get those added to iOS 9. So with iOS 10, if iPad still is a priority, and I'm hoping it is, 
we're going to see, I would think, a lot more um, improvements to iOS 10 as a productivity device on the iPad. And I'll tell you, I am really looking forward to that part of the presentation. Yeah, I agree. Um, what about Apple Music? Um, Apple Music is, they say that it's, you know, kind of do, it's only been out there for a week, but I'm sorry, a year. But I'm, you know, a lot of people aren't happy with some of the things. You know, what are we, are you expecting a big revamp to Apple Music? I, I know you're a big user of Apple Music and and I kind of don't care. Yeah, I, I use it. I feel like it gets kind of a bum rap from the tech press and, and maybe I'm being um, naive. I haven't spent a lot of time with the competing services, so maybe they're just way better and I don't realize it. But in general, Apple Music has served us pretty well this year. Um, I do think that the application needs some user interface work. I mean, they've got features that are buttons in the application that I never use. Um, and then like my music, which is the most important to me is the very last tab. I, I don't understand the design of the, of the app. I guess it was really made to push people towards the Apple music subscription service, but even as an Apple music subscriber, some of it still doesn't make sense to me. And the uh, rumor mill is that they're going to refine the, uh, the, um, the user interface, but I don't know that they're going to make a whole bunch of changes to the underlying service. Well, I mean, one of the problems with Apple music is that they're trying to do do several things. They're trying to give people a subscription service, but also honor all the music that they've bought in the past. And that's what leads to some of the shenanigans that we read about. And I don't know how long it's going to take them to figure all that out. All right. Well, anything else you can think of for big, big topic things for WWDC or otherwise we'll have a lot to talk about next week. I hope there's some surprises, you know, I hope that they, they wow us. I mean, Apple has a hard time keeping secrets about what the next iPhone is going to look like because they have to make a gazillion of them before they announce it. But with software, they're pretty good at keeping secrets. So, I mean, last year we had no idea Apple notes was going to become something that we would be interested in and they surprised us. So hopefully we'll get a few more of those next week. All right. All right. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about it and uh, we'll have it out for our listeners just as quickly as we can. Um, and if you have comments, if you have feedback, if you have things that you want to talk to us about, you can send that to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And if you want to consider being one of our guests for this live show, send us an audio pitch. You can send that to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Keep it to under two minutes. Tell us a little bit about what you want to talk about, where you have areas of expertise, a little bit about what you want to do. You can listen to shows 100 and 150 for some examples of the types of things that, that we've talked about in the past uh, and you've got to obviously be available to do the live show. We typically record now on the first Monday of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. So if that's something you're interested, uh, drop us a note. Or you can always just send us an audio comment or an email uh, to be included in one of these live shows. Yeah, and just a scheduling note, the next live show is on July 4th. So there's a good chance that may move. Yes, so yes, it will like it, it will likely move to to earlier, but we'll uh, watch Twitter and we'll have more information about that. So, uh, thanks to our sponsors this episode: Gazelle, One Password, LineNode, and Drobo. Uh, Linode, sorry, and Drobo. Um, and uh, we will talk to you all soon.